good band, hot music, the best of times. It could have lasted forever. Welcome to Back in Tunes. We're going to do a mini-sode this week discussing the movie Rock and Rule, which Jacob had not heard of. By the way, Jacob is my co-host. How's it going, Jacob? It's going well, except that it's the first day of spring and my allergies are acting up and I just want to sit in my room and die. We really don't get allergies up here in Oregon, but I will trade it. I will have watery red eyes and the, the sniffy, snuffy, whatever it is you do with your nose. Uh, just to be back in California. And by the way, everybody, if you do not know already, I am Michael. Um, I am your regular host of this show called Back in Tunes. We've done this episode a little bit backwards. We usually do the intros first and then meander off. <laughs> Whoops. And I'm <laughs> I know, we got to, a little too excited. Yeah, I've been doing some episodes earlier in the day, and I'm usually not that awake. And usually my voice is kind of scratchy and high pitch. I'm straining to talk. So I'm remembering all the practices that... Uh, I did when I was in radio, you know, teach you to keep your posture up, you know, get your voice warmed up first, so that way I stop being so annoying, and I uh, enunciate better. I've been listening to some of the old episodes, and uh, kind of hate how I sound. <laughs> oh, Mike, it sounds fine. I Don't do worry not. I, I'm also oh, okay. ironic, whatever. Oh, hey, Mike, come on. Well, you're not, you're, you're not that good. No, I, I kind of suck. I'm fairly <laughs> mediocre. In fact, we should just rename the show Fairly Mediocre. That's somewhat passable. See, we, I will have no part of it. We are the canned <laughs> pictures of podcasting. We have lots of flair. We have lots of stuff to get your attention. And we always kind of let you down. And we have no money. <laughs> no, no money anymore. Now, we, yeah, we were never the Canon Pictures of 1986-87. We're the Canon Pictures of right at the end of Superman 4 when Christopher Reeve was told, hey, uh, we kind of ran out of money, so we're going to just shut down production and just repeat special effect shots because <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> oh, my God. That was such a terrible installment. Yeah. All right. Speaking of Superman, though, I am excited for Batman vs. Superman this we week. We are. If you listen to Back in Tunes on a regular basis, you'll notice the previous episodes were actually a warm-up to Batman vs. Superman. We did uh, Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, and I just did Batman Beyond last week. So as you're listening to this, uh, it could be a repeat. I don't know. The movie probably came out already, and either it's the most amazing thing ever, or you're completely let down. Yeah, I yeah I looked up the IMDb and so far like over six thousand uh, user ratings have on an average are nine point five out of ten. How they haven't shown it to anybody? I think it's just interest. There have been early screenings. Ah, I don't know, man. I think IMDb just lets anybody rate anything. Oh no, that that may be. I mean, I don't know. I haven't even been able to put up a rating yet. All right, I think so, it's just early screening. Yeah. So speaking of ratings and reviews and box office and budget, let's talk about rock and roll. A movie that nearly shut down one of the best animated companies around, Nelvana, 
they're not a really well-known company. They just have like a niche. If you know their stuff, you love their stuff. They're out of Canada, and they decided in 1980 to do a full-length film. It took three years and lots of torturous production to get across. Uh, it was released on one screen in America. Can you believe that? One screen? Oh, my gosh. It's almost – oh, man. It sounds like little to no marketing. Well, What's what that? it was is MGM was excited about it when they purchased. Okay, it was actually licensed uh, to Universal, um, not Universal, United Artists. But United Artists oh, actually okay. ran out of money when they made Heaven's Gate, so they sold to MGM. The guy that was in charge of MGM at the time was hot for it. Then he got fired and replaced. Those guys didn't give oh. a rat's ass. So legally, they had to release it in one screen. So they put it in Boston, made thirty thousand dollars. This is an eight million dollar animated movie. That's not chump change back in the day, but just to get no, 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 not for an animated movie. It's just like spit in the eye. Ow! It's like acid spit in the eye. Yeah. As if a xenom just like here, hold on, let me clean your eyes. Let me let me get me some eye drops for your allergy medicine. (laughs) (laughs) And this movie nearly derailed the company, uh, Nirvana. But, of course, I think it was the Care Bears movie that saved their ass, and they started focusing on a different direction with their animation. But do you think this is the kind of movie that should have been buried? No. This is not a movie that should not have been buried. I honestly thought, I mean, the animation uh, and the character design, it reminded me of, like, Five Ghost West meets fucking heavy metal. Yeah. I thought exactly it was what real I was bad. Uh, anamorphic characters and, in a heavy metal world. Oh, hell yeah. And also... Um, the music too. You got Lou Reed, Debbie Harry, freaking Cheap Trick, even Earth, Wind, and Fire. I mean, those are big, big bands, man. Those are heavy, heavily influential musicians. I think it's funny that I was looking up the history of Cheap Trick, and they struggled for a very long time. And it wasn't until they did the Live at Budokan album overseas, where it was huge internationally, and then they imported it into America. Now. I thought that it was still a huge hit. They really only had one like massive hit, and then they kind of petered off by the time the 80s rolled around. So at this time of doing rock and roll, uh, they were also just sub- supplementing their albums and their basically their pockets with doing songs for movies. They did do music for um, heavy metal as well. And if you look at their, um, their uh, CD, uh, discography, I guess is what you call it, it was pretty sporadic yes. until like the late '80s is when they were rediscovered again and and heralded as a great rock and roll band, and they are. Oh, of course, I know. And plus, I mean, some of the names though, I thought were just definitely more uh, Saturday morning cartoon style. Yeah. Like you know, there's Bach and and then there's just you know lazy ones like Omar and Angel, and. Yeah, but overall, I really enjoyed watching it. And Iggy Pop, oh gosh, yes, as the oh, big God. old demon coming out of the pit. That was awesome. The uh, yeah. the song that Lou Reed sings, I think, is very, very beneath him. I'm still stunned that uh, it was something that he even was involved with. It's so lazy. I, I kind of get where it's coming from, though, is that Mock is like, it used to be like, I'd say, a David Bowie. You know, in his time. That's he what was, I was thinking. Yeah, he was like the biggest thing. He was revolutionary. But the next wave came around, and he started to get lazy, and his albums weren't very good anymore. So Mock is basically now trying to get a revival. He even mentions that his last concert was barely sold out. He's trying to put together a new album. So maybe that Mock song is supposed to be half-assed. I'm not sure. 
I know, it's part of the character. Plus, he's about to summon a demon and take over the world who gives a shit at this point. Yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, when we see the other perspective uh, of the band, that's the Hot Rising Band. By the way, you will see an homage uh, to Cheap Trick because that one guy wears the hat that goes up just like the guitarist in Cheap Trick, you know, where he takes the, the bill and pushes it straight up in the air. Oh, yeah. Huh. Now, now that you mentioned the whole thing about Cheap Trick, holy shit, that... That cannot be unseen now. Yeah. Uh, this is a movie that was finished. It was supposed to be re- uh, released in 82. And uh, when MGM decided that it didn't work for them, you know, they wanted heavy cuts. They wanted to edit out some of the satanic references. Uh, you know, take it a little lighter. And in fact, it actually started off as a lighter movie. And as it evolved, it just turned into more sophisticated because that was the era where teenagers were interested in sword and sorcery and fantasy and animated movies tried to go more mature. You know, we, we discussed heavy metal being like, I guess the trendsetter. And then, uh, Ralph Bakshi of course was in there doing, you know, fire and ice and, uh, what's the wizard? Star- oh gosh. I have to look those up. Yeah. Well, we were going to discuss fire and ice probably on the next episode. Cause we've been, we've been pushing that off now for months. Um, oh, yeah. Of course, we discussed Star Chaser back around Christmas, and it was that era where animated movies were really trying to push into the PG, PG-13 world, and studios just fought them the whole way. And it's just like, let let it go, man. I know, it's like, come on, you know, kids aren't going to be the only ones that will want to see this, okay? I mean, especially nowadays, I mean, shit, look at Deadpool. <laughs> That's not even an animated movie. Yeah, yeah, but we still look at animated movies and struggle to get beyond PG. I mean, uh, Titan AE, Tank, uh, Iron Giant looked like a kid's movie, but it was very sophisticated fare. That also bombed. So financially, people do not see it being worth their time. Animated movies are not cheap. No, they're not. Uh, I mean, with the budget these days, yeah. Yeah, minimum, uh, a good animated movie that usually ends up theatrical is minimum $50 million. Oh, Jesus. I think the only one that ever slipped by was Hoodwinked, which I thought was a hilarious script. Terrible animation for, you know, a theatrical film, but, you know. Oh, of course. Oh, I know. I thought I looked at it, like, back then. I'm like, Jesus, they could have done a much better job. This, this, this looks like shit. But then you look at something like, you know, back then from, like, uh, you know, Titan A.E. or Mask of the Phantasm and... Anastasia, and yeah, those are like beautifully animated films. Yeah. So this one kind of falls in the middle for me. I like some of the designs, but I also feel like it isn't truly wonderful animation. It's not like Don Bluth level or uh, I'm trying to think of somebody that was around that time. I mean, Ralph Bakshi, of course, used oh. a lot of rotoscoping to save money. This, But it does have a very unique look. The hand-drawn, you see the lines and everything it's it's very personal in how it's made so i can't fault it for that oh of course not no it just shows that you know a lot of heart was put into this and i was thinking and a lot of good music so did you watch the american version or the canadian version i didn't know there was i didn't know there were two different versions uh they both are they're both in english right correct uh you'll you'll know because the print that you will see is actually kind of scratchy it doesn't look that high quality that is the Canadian original version. Did you was the version you saw pretty polished? It looked pretty touched up to me. Okay, it so looked clean. There was uh, when it was released on video, MGM still didn't give a rat's ass about making their money back, which stuns me. I guess they just used it as a write off, but they barely released it on Laserdisc and VHS, and probably beta too at that time. 
but it went out of print very fast, disappeared for a long time, and people were basically buying bootlegs. Oddly enough, uh, apparently a lot of the bootlegs were credited to Ralph Bakshi. It is not, I believe it's Clive A. Smith, who did a ton of stuff for Nelvana. Uh, he did The Devil and Daniel... Wait, The Devil and the Mouse? Uh, I forget what it is right now, but it was a short film that eventually led to this. The Devil and Daniel Mouse? Thank you. I had that wrong. Um, but yeah. no, it's not Ralph Bakshi involved. In fact, it's not even his style. Anybody knows his work will see uh, this movie and go, no? <laughs> and in fact, I think uh, MGM released it under a different name, Ring of Power, Ring of Fire. Uh, so clearly they had no interest in following what Nirvana wanted with this movie. Uh, of course not. I mean, Ring of Fire, I mean, if you're going to call it Ring of Fire, you got to have Johnny Cash make <laughs> a cameo in it then. And uh, the, the <laughs> great part, though, is this small, little, nothing company called Unearthed Films, which I, I believe is out of uh, business now. They did a handful of movies, uh, did an absolutely exquisite version of this. It's, it's, it's two discs filled to the brim with extras, commentaries, but it also has the original Canadian cut. I know it's very hard to find this, but it's worth it because it's much longer, different audio, different vocal. Um, Paul Lamatt's was not brought in until the American version, so it sounds completely different. Oh, I did not, oh, I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I did look it up on IMDb, uh, just out of curiosity, because I did, I did notice, like, I recognize a few voices from uh, other animated movies. Yeah, well, I think Marie LaMarche, this is his first significant role, who would later go on to do The Brain. Oh, yes. That was what I recognized. That was one voice I definitely recognized. And I think, like, of all the characters that really stood out, I mean, yeah, there was Angel's lyrics being sung by Derry Harry. That was awesome. But I think it was the brothers. Yeah. Oh, the, the sister. That padonkadonk. Oh, oh, oh. Good. That was just out there. Like, whoa, geez. I'm pretty sure they take up after their father. <laughs> I'm going to guess so. Unless their mother was a very, uh, if she was basically just a brick house. Ow, she's a prick. Ow, why wasn't that that song could have been in there easily? <laughs> it, it, it <laughs> right when she came out. Um, yeah, the funny thing is, uh, it, in the catalog of those movies I mentioned earlier, where they're trying to aim older, I would say this is kind of on the lower end for me. Uh, I liked the storyline, but just something about how fast it moved just it just kind of dragged, and um, I, I just didn't think the songs were that fantastic. But you know, you're talking about a low budget animated movie for them for for us canada uh you know i don't know where i'm going with this forget i just had a brain fart it was right we were we were we rhymed i honestly i thought the first song uh was pretty rocking the one where the band first comes on and then they turn off the power I'm like what's wrong with that one yeah what's wrong with you people i wanted to i wanted to hang out i wanted to thrash i wanted to bounce around a bit <laughs> yeah, this is definitely a rare film. Even after being finally released on DVD, this isn't exactly a really well-known animated movie, and it, it's something that should be seen. Oh, for sure. I definitely would highly I would highly recommend it to music lovers, especially, you know, to Debbie Harry and some Iggy Pop fans. Yeah, well, this is a time period where American rock and roll, man, it was in a huge revival. And it was being added to not only the live-action movies, but you know, a lot of those animated films were trying to do that. You know, there's American Pop, um, Heavy Metal, and this, where it was a, a heavy, heavy focus on rock and roll. Oh, for sure. Then there was also Streets of Fire. That was. Have they ever made a hip-hop animated movie? There was Bebe's Kids. That was uh, definitely more hip-hop and hip-hop oriented. No, I don't know. I have 
to see it again. Bye-bye, kids. Uh, actually, we should discuss that, too. I love that movie. It's almost impossible to find, though. It's severely out of print. I think it's like $100 a copy. Oh, damn it. Oh, <laughs> it no, was on right? Netflix a little while ago. We don't die. We multiply. <laughs> I know. I know. God, oh, freaking what? What was the baby's name? Pee-wee? Pee-wee's <laughs> fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just... It's hard to say the name. I mean, oh gosh, it's just hard to say the name because of you know how deep his voice and manly his voice was. Yeah. The voice of an infant, Tone Loke, <laughs> as the voice of Pee <laughs> Wee. Um, we, we we should uh, save the rest of this conversation for when we actually get to see this movie. Good luck finding it though. This might be like our final episode. We've been searching for years. I'm eight years old. I finally found a copy of Baby's Kids. <laughs> yeah, no. If I ever find it on DVD, I'll probably buy it. All right, so... Yeah, I can always check I Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, you live near one of those. I do not. Um, so, everybody, this is Back in Tunes uh, saying thank you very much. We are in our third year now, and the numbers are definitely building. Please share, uh, like, uh, download it into a physical form, and hug it every day, tell it you love it, and, uh, you know, make us feel better because it, it's, it's sometimes it's insecure. <laughs> and uh, we appreciate all the love we've gotten. And uh, this is Michael saying, be excellent to each other. Jacob signing us off. All right. Namaste and good luck, my friend. Good night. Everybody, welcome to Back in Tunes. As you can tell by that song, which was uh, pretty explicit about what it's about, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, and Powerpuff Girls are the cartoons we're going to discuss this episode. I'm your host, Michael, and my guest this week is Andrew. How's it going, Andrew? Good, man. How are you doing? Oh, got to turn that speaker up. Sorry. Say it again. I'm good. How are you? All right. Uh, so this has been an episode many months in the making. I think I actually told people like back in December, oh, yeah, part of the January's roster is... Powerpuff Girls and Ed, Ed, and Eddie, and, well, things happen, people. Episodes get delayed, and uh, I hope you're just patient with whatever we have going on. And um, in the meantime, you know, we kind of take suggestions from people. Uh, we find uh, episodes as, like, celebrating a special anniversary, like you heard with the Transformers 30th anniversary. And we are definitely coming up on 20 years of, like, that initial launch of the Cartoon Network, like, signature series. And I think me and Andrew are probably going to discuss, like, I think there's about eight of them that was part of the initial run. But let's start off with Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Yeah, one of, uh, one of my favorites. Like, we could not, we could not love uh, the social outcasts of Ed, Ed, and Eddie. And the funny thing is, um, I, I only have a sister, so it's kind of hard for me to relate to the, to the crazy behavior that they do. Uh, did you have brothers? Or do you have brothers? Oh, uh, well, no, I have uh, sisters. I'm the oldest, uh, but I don't know if I was telling you before, but I have five sisters, oh, um, yeah, yeah, and now I'm yeah. brothers. So um, being the oldest, I mean, I didn't have, like, as many experiences with it, but um, just watching the show in general and, and seeing um, kind of the three main characters, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, um, being kind of like the misfits of, of the cul-de-sac or, or even, like, the uh, outcast of the, old, the cul-de-sac kind of a was appealing to me. I mean, I really liked uh, watching the three different personalities of them mesh and and, and uh, play well together. Yeah, I think it's funny. Is even if you didn't have brothers, you can understand what it's like being an outcast. If you were not an outcast in school, 
you're lucky because most people, even though they seem popular, you know there's always something going on. Like something about them always seems like, well, that I like this, but it's not that popular. I think everybody has that kind of nerd quality, and that's why you can kind of relate to these guys. Yeah, and usually with, with that, with me being you know in that in childhood, um, I was always like the new kid. My my parents were always moving moving me, and I was always like the new kid in school. So, you know, being already on the outside uh, looking in socially was was already a challenge sometimes. But that that really helped me now become a lot more socially acquaintable with people. I can go up and talk to anybody now, but you know because of that, so. Um, I, I really feel some in some instances, even watching the episode now, uh, and in some of the episodes now, um, you know, you see them kind of get uh, on the outside looking in, uh, per se, like uh, they're trying to scheme and come up with ways and, and ideas to have the other kids in the cul-de-sac kind of hang out with them. So um, it, it's kind of what I get from it now when I, when I look back and I watch it. I think it's funny that most of their schemes seem to be centered around candy, specifically jawbreakers, which only a child could eat. No grown-up eats a jawbreaker. I've never seen it. <laughs> it's funny, you know. You walk, uh, you walk into some of the like sweet factories and like the malls down south and everything. You see those like really huge, like um, almost like a little smaller than than your palm size uh, jawbreakers. And and when I see that, I think of the show like Ed and Eddie. Like it's that's what they're they're primary goal in life is to, to get these jawbreakers. I think it's funny when you see someone try to eat one of the really, really big ones, and they're basically, like, their mouth is barely held together, and they're almost on the point of drooling. You're just like, oh, you chose poorly, buddy. <laughs> but good for you. Well, and then it's even a good, like, uh, visual aid, like, when you when you see that, you know, you think Ed and Eddie, these yeah. huge, you know, in the cartoon, they're portrayed as, like, huge, bigger than people's heads, and they have the whole thing in their mouth and everything, and Again, drooling and, <laughs> and you know, saliva is kind of coming out of, of their mouth because of it. But, uh, yeah, you definitely see that a lot. I'm curious. How come you moved around so much? Um, my mom initially was from down south. Uh, so just different things happening. Um, you know, she met my, my stepfather over here. So moving over here and then them kind of going hard times moving back and, oh, okay. and different okay. houses around here. So. Uh, not necessarily cities as much as it was schools, because I moved multiple places in the cities, but um, kind of went to different schools and everything. Luckily, like I met a lot of my friends in those elementary schools, like when I went on to high school or even like um, middle school, you know, going and seeing all these people I went to like third grade with or fourth grade at this school. So it's kind of a, a different experience. But yeah, mo multiple like schools really moving there, not necessarily cities. Yeah, usually when you hear that, you the next response is, well, my dad was a salesman or he was military or something like that. So I'm always curious what it's like for – because I, I, I do another show with uh, another guy named Andrew, and he was military. And he would move like once a year, and it was like all over Europe and sometimes back to America, and how he experienced like comic books and animation differently outside of this country. Um, I, I was stuck in the same place, literally. The only time I ever moved as a child was like 30 minutes away to a new town. And that was it, and I still got to see everybody. So <laughs> I, I had no excitement um, when it comes to like, oh, this is totally different for me. Yeah, I mean, we, we were primarily in the same city, just like I said, different schools, different social settings. Um, that really helped me be the social person I am today. Like I said, yeah. I can go up and talk to anybody now, but because of that, like I was always a new kid. You know, as soon as I got to middle school and high school, the moving stopped, but all throughout elementary, kind of just different schools. I've been to like four. Uh, five different schools in Santa Maria here. So, 
And with uh, cartoons and stuff, you know, like comic books and movies, they're great connectors to anybody new. And uh, at this time, how old were you when uh, Cartoon Network started launching their original series? Um, I got to say, it was prob- I was probably in, like, fifth or sixth grade. Um, I think it was, it was the post, like, Nickelodeon run where, you know, you're kind of old, getting over the Rugrats uh, era of, of your childhood, watching cartoons, and then kind of dip into the uh, Cartoon Network. You know, you got these these uh, somewhat older cartoon shows in, in Ed, Ed, and Eddie, and uh, the Powerpuff Girls, Dexter's Laboratory, and things like that, where it's not, you know, focused around younger kids anymore. It's kind of, you know, a, a, a adolescent type of, of cartoons that were showing on the show, and um, I mean, it was pretty popular, like, for people that I hung out with. Um, I mean, especially Ed, Ed, and Eddie, just kind of talking about the shows and, and everything that went on through there. Yeah, you were at that right age when these shows premiered. I had just entered college. I think I was in my second year. So nobody really watched Cartoon Network. You couldn't even get it on cable. It was really difficult. And so I didn't discover these shows until around 2001, 2002, when a friend of mine got satellite. So I think I missed like the big rush of those shows. Um I would say the least favorite of that group is probably Cow and Chicken, and when I ever get to that episode, you'll probably hear me just kind of grumble in the background while you talk about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ed and Eddie, Powerpuff Girls, Dexter's Laboratory, um, Johnny Bravo, probably my favorite of the bunch, and they were totally different. When I was the same age, it was, what, 1988, I think, and we're still in that era of like really poorly done cartoons that were just meant to sell toys. Just whatever line of action figures we have this year. And your era is like uh, creator-oriented, not uh, company-oriented, where these guys have come with unique visions and stories that had never been done before. And that's why they stick around, why they're still so fresh in people's minds, is because they were so personal. Yeah, and, and I, like, you know, looking back at a lot of this stuff now, I mean, most most of those shows, um, you know, dealt with, with some siblings as well. Like, you had a lot more siblings, you know. Uh, Rugrats, you know, the whole show is really just about the only siblings in there are, are the two twins until you get to the older, you know, runoff of, of the show. But um, almost every show has has the, the, the sibling. You know, Dexter's Lab has, you know, sister, um, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, um, not necessarily like siblings, but, you know, they had like a dynamic with, with uh, Ed, who had his younger sister, who was kind of like the baby of the family and was the spoiled one while, while he was like kind of in the... Uh, in the basement, had a room in the basement and stuff like that. So, um, a couple of those episodes, you see, like me having all these, you know, siblings is kind of like, you know, oh, I can, I can kind of relate to that a little more too. In the power of girls, three sisters. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I thought that's why this would be a perfect fit. Uh, I was trying to balance out which cartoons to put together. When you think of the trios, of course, Ed and Ed, Eddie and the Power of Girls, perfect combo, even though wildly different shows. Uh, you, um, what was I saying? Ed and Eddie. When I watched them, they remind me of my two best friends when we were growing up because we'd be perfectly fine on our own. You get us together, and that's where most of us end up getting grounded or, or some sort of punishment because we were always up to no good. And it's, uh, you kind of think about that, and you scratch your head going, oh, thank God I was young when I did that and not a grown-up. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's kind of funny. Like they, they, you know, A lot of the kids in that show in the cul-de-sac, they're kind of more concerned with playing and and having a good time and being kids too, and yet these three guys were coming up with ways to make money um, in order to, to get you know in their their eyes the American dream, which would be the the uh, the jawbreakers and candy and things like that. So I always thought it was kind of unique too. And then you, you see so many different um, 
cultural dynamics of the show too. You know, you you see um, a foreigner who's part of the cul-de-sac who has you know different customs that might be weird to some people. Yeah. Um, you know, you have you know some of the popular kids that everybody kind of gravitates toward. Uh, you have the kid who's talking to an inanimate object. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, um, I've, I've, been, I've yeah. been that person, dude. I've been that person. Yeah. I like not realizing people are watching. Like, I was just, oh, crap. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you got a really good mix of, of social, you know, distortion throughout the group of, of the kids in the cul-de-sac. So, outside, there's a lot of variety with it. You know, no, no two characters are alike, even though there's so many in there. Yeah, and it's not violent. It's one of the few cartoons that doesn't have like antagonism. There's so many. It seems like in order to sell figures or toys, yeah. always seems like there has to be some sort of villain. But they always treat them just like even when someone acted bad, it was kind of understandable. It was normal everyday behavior. Yeah, you know, kids getting into kid things. Now this is the most successful Canadian cartoon of all time. Six seasons, and I think most of the shows uh, on Cartoon Network at the time lasted a minimum of 100 episodes, which is like the standard for any successful regular show. Animation, most of them, they wouldn't even last more than two seasons. Transformers, like I think it was two and a half seasons. G.I. Joe, two seasons. So when you get to the 90s, uh, clearly Warner Brothers knew what they were doing and audiences connected to it. So it, it's nice to see that... Um, it wasn't just meant to sell something and get out as fast as possible. They had a long-running idea for what they wanted to do with the series. Yeah, and you even see some of the, like, you know, Cartoon Network came out with the, uh, they were on that time, too, the Boomerang channel, too. So even, like, if you're a, an older cartoon kind of fan, you still saw some of those older cartoon episodes on the Boomerang channel where yeah. you, you can still kind of live through that. They had reruns, you know, nothing new per se, but, you know, think about the, thousands and thousands of cartoons, older cartoons that they showed on, on, on that channel. It's, it's amazing that they, they still kept it going after after so long. Yeah, well, I think now that Boomerang has changed so much, they kind of exhausted the catalogs of old stuff they had from like Hanna-Barbera, MGM, the classic Looney Tunes. And now, oddly enough, the cartoons we're discussing right now are considered yeah. classics, and now they're airing on Boomerang. Mm -hmm. I'm getting old, dude. <laughs> when Courage the Cowardly Dog is considered a classic, I'm old. Yeah. Not to say it's not worth a classic, I just didn't want that error to come oh. up yet. I wanted it to be a little bit farther yeah, well, off. Yeah, well, see, luckily for me, like, you know, my, my kids, uh, you know, they, they're watching, they watch Courage the Cowardly Dog, and um, that's something, that's one of the, the uh, cartoons that they, they kind of stick with mostly. I mean, even though it's kind of weird, bizarre, and yeah. kind of out there, uh, definitely show like my my younger son he, he had watched a good couple seasons of well i think kids have a fascination with monsters and, and fear but not like really like saw they're not going to watch like texas chainsaw massacre or friday the 13th but i think kids sorry, have that? a predilection towards like the classic monsters and courage cowardly dog kind of goes around that realm So yeah, it's uh, a lot of these cartoons now are uh, considered classics for a good reason. It's not based on nostalgia. It actually, it, you could air it now and it would still work. It's not like one of those, oh, I really liked that back when I was a kid. You could like this as an adult. Yeah, and like I said, my my my, he's watching Courage Cowboy Dog. I'll, I'll go and I'll revisit a lot of the episodes that I liked as a kid. You know, um, I think one of them was was you know that that barber. Um, I don't know his name specifically, but, you know, he comes and visits Muriel and, and uh, um, 
and courage uh, at their home and you know i think he's he's claiming to be their their nephew or something like that and i can just remember that grin on his face and you know him going through and saying that word you know naughty you know just <laughs> going through and that like was drilled into my head as a kid and, and seeing it again my son watching it it's just really funny you know uh so I think that brings us to the end of this segment on Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Is there anything you want to say about it before we switch over? Um, no, I mean, awesome show. Uh, you know, a lot of my, my my favorite character was Ed. You know, the big, strong, brute one because he said a lot of crazy stuff, and you know, he was <laughs> he was a nerd like me. So. Yeah, and you can find all these on DVD, which Warner Brothers has been kind enough to put them out instead of making a wait around for whenever it's on TV. And uh, now uh, let's yeah. jump into the Powerpuff Theme Girl. Uh, what? Powerpuff Girls theme song. I apparently had verbal dyslexia for a second. Okay, I don't think that's the original theme song. No, it didn't sound like it. It sounded like a... Uh... A band doing it right there. Yeah, I think that was a cover. Because I looked at that and I go, that doesn't sound right. And it didn't have the intro that I love so much. Sugar and spice and everything. No, you know. Uh, this you get one, the idea, though. Yeah, this one I really, really like. And it, and it holds up very well. And in fact, you can tell that it's one that stood the test of time. Because now they're bringing it back again for a huge run. I think it's like 56 episodes they've already ordered. Which is insane for an animated show. Yeah, it's definitely a, a classic. I, I remember... Um, you know, getting into some of these Cartoon Network shows and kind of being. And apparently we're cut off again. Dang it. Sorry, everybody. Okay, everybody, it cut off. Yes, so... uh, I apologize. So I just let Andrew start up for wherever we just lost him. Okay. Yeah, so um, I believe it was, you know, being a guy watching three, you know, girls, essentially, as a show, you know, at, at the time. Um, but still being able to be comfortable with being a guy. Like, like I said, my older cousin was, was into the show as well, too, so it made me a little more comfortable with, with watching it. But it, it's an awesome show, you know, three, three uh, girls fighting crime and seeing the, the villains and things of, of Townsville was, was pretty cool. My favorite is Mojo Jojo. <laughs> or it's Mojo Jojo, third person. <laughs> the... Uh... For the longest time, I thought this was created by Jendi Tartofsky, who's the creator of Samurai Jack. I don't know why I had this in my head, but uh, it was Craig McCracken who later would create my favorite cartoon of the last couple like decades is uh, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. Um, but this, you can see a lot of that energy there. But for years, I thought the same guy did Dexter, Samurai Jack, and Powerpuff. And I was like, wait, who? They're all pretty similar in the animation where, you know, if you look at... Uh you know, Professor Utonium's head, Dexter's head, and Samurai Jack, uh, the, his shapes are all pretty much the same. Yeah, really um, lines. And the animation looks very similar, yeah. Whereas Ed and Eddie, there's nothing I know of that looks like that. That is a very, very unique look. Warner Brothers kind of had a style to a lot of their cartoons around this time. Even, even Johnny Bravo looks like it belongs in mm -hmm. the same family as uh, Powerpuff and Dexter. Yeah, and I mean, you even see, like, some of the crossover episodes that they do, um, I think, um, like even with like cow and chicken kind of getting into like the world of Johnny Bravo, sometimes you, it just looks like it belongs together too. This, uh, this is like a good intro for superhero 
like that kind of concept to girls. Well, and boys alike. Um, but you know, there's not a lot of female superheroes out there. You got Wonder Woman, um, Storm. You know, not a lot of A-lister females. And it's really nice that even though this doesn't belong in the DC or Marvel universe, they are major players when it comes to getting kids' attention. And to have something there for women, I think. Or was uh, I think you had She-Ra? I think before this was She-Ra is like the only female real hero beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it was, I mean, a very good uh, series of shows. I mean, even, even the characters, uh, the villains themselves were, you know, unique. And uh, even though they, you know, they're kind of like the same type of villains, you know, a couple new ones here and there. But uh, you definitely see, you know, a lot of imagination get put into this this uh, animation and even the characters. And uh, to see them over and over again uh, it was pretty cool. I think one of my favorite episodes um, was when... Um, Mojo Jojo made the Rowdy Rough Boys, and it's like the Powerpuff Girls and Rowdy Rough Boys go like against each other, which yeah. is kind of a different dynamic. You know, the boy version of the Powerpuff Girls, but, um, you know, kind of just the, that kind of imagination with it. Well, that's the thing that they use a lot in comic book mythos, is always having kind of an opposite of your heroes. You, you have Venom and Spider-Man, you have uh, the Reverse Flash and Flash, Sinestro and Green Lantern, Bizarro. Bizarro probably being the perfect yeah. example of the counterpart where it's almost every single aspect of what makes Superman great makes Bizarro bad, and that's uh, an idea they brought over to the Powerpuff Girls. Mm-hmm. I think it's weird that the show won so many awards, got huge ratings, was on for, I think, eight seasons, and yet, for some reason, uh, nobody really went to the movies. I didn't even know they had a movie. Yeah, it was in the theaters. <laughs> I remember that... Uh, you know, there was a bunch of commercials for it, and they were talking about it. You know, like it was going to be uh, at least a cult summer hit, and just nothing happened with it. And it's kind of like um, that Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Perfectly fine movie, yet nobody went to it. And I, I don't know if it's because kids thought, well, I'll just see this on TV someday. Yeah, I mean, that's a possibility. Like, I mean, well, when did this movie come out? I mean, I guess I didn't even know uh, that they made a, a full-length feature. I want to say it was 2003. I could be off on that, but I remember it was uh, a few years after the show was wrapped up, and uh, maybe, okay. it was, maybe it was too long of a gap between the end of the show, or maybe kids had just yeah. moved on. Yeah, and you think, you know, um, by that time, too, you know, the show's been over for a couple of years, kids, you know, move on, and it's not something that they, you know, are crazy about right then and there. Yeah, it, uh... It's a really good movie, actually. I think it's better than a lot of the episodes that you see. And uh, it was a shame. But it's nice to know that also that the series has continued to build a following and that it is coming back. And hopefully that the new episodes are going to work. I, I heard that there was a CGI special a couple of years ago that the creator, Craig McCracken, was not involved in whatsoever. Did you see this? It was all CG? No, I, no, I didn't see that. Um, I, I've, I've seen the animation in, in some spots um, in some of the newer cartoons, like kind of just cameo spots yeah. of it. Um, I, I think like, I forget what show specifically. It might've been like the amazing world of gumball. I'm watching with my son and there was like, um, I think the mayor was in it or something from, from the Powerpuff Girls. So you, you kind of see those cameo spots still kind of fit in place in a couple of these newer episodes. And, and these kids are like, Oh, who's that? And then, yeah kind of getting onto it, you know, onto, oh, he's from the Powerpuff Girls, okay, well, what's the Powerpuff Girls? And then it kind of, you know, snowballs into someone now watching the Powerpuff Girls because of these little 
carefully placed cameos in some of these newer Cartoon Network shows. Speaking of uh, the mayor, uh, voiced by Tom Kenny, who is mostly known for doing SpongeBob SquarePants, but he has done a ton of animation. He's one of those guys, every decade has like that certain voice actor. You watch a 70s cartoon, and you're always like, well, wait a minute, didn't he play like Shaggy? And then you hear him on another cartoon. There's guys like that for every decade that you would hear constantly throughout that period. Tom Kenny is like the guy for the last 10 years, and, and you always recognize that voice. Yeah. I, I oddly Yeah, that's why I'd be different. Go ahead. Go ahead, Andrew, sorry. Oh, I was just saying the uh, the mayor, um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny when when he's, you know, calling the Powerpuff Girls and like that, although, like, different shenanigans, you see a, a mayor, like, him going through. I remember one time, you know, kind of like, he's calling them, and uh, it's because he couldn't open the mayonnaise jar or something like that. <laughs> so it's always funny, like, especially the, the, the type of mayor he is in the show, you know, really small, short, and not, not too powerful, but, you know, seeing that, and, and he was really a memorable character where I think you, you can put him in those in those cameo spots in today's episode, and he'll still be a strong a strong character for that. Yeah, I think it's funny that he runs an entire city, but he can't do these simple, basic tasks. He kind of reminds me of the mayor on Nightmare Before Christmas, the one who's always whining, Jack, yeah. I can't do this all. Yeah. <laughs> like, how would you run this town? Yeah. <laughs> only 364 days <laughs> uh, I was like who elected you how did you win this did you whine your way to the office <laughs> um, well, that, that's kind of a it's kind of a funny character too because of his, his two faced persona it's like oh well that's you know that's politics government for you <laughs> at least the mayor in Powerpuff Girls had somewhat of a clue as to what he was doing <laughs> I think uh, this is Definitely both cartoons are worth seeing, but I feel like Powerpuff Girls is the better of the two. Of course, it depends on where you come at the show emotionally. Uh, Ed, Ed and Eddie can be something very, very personal, and you connect to it no matter how quality the animation or the storyline. Yeah, the, the Ed, Ed and Eddie uh, series, and in my opinion, sometimes there's, there's some episodes that are kind of dark and kind of out there, um, but, you know, it's it's the animation isn't, isn't very smooth or anything like that, but emotionally you can get attached to a lot of these characters um but you know powerpuff girls is kind of a straight out you know um superhero yeah. feel good kind of um show where you know every show you know they're going to be battling somebody every show you know they're going to come out the winners so it's a really happy type even the animation and you know the girls have huge eyes and you know the, the little the little cute phone with the, the nose going off like everything in the animation is just breathes happiness yeah, if you were to equate it to music, Powerpuff Girls are like really good pop music, whereas Ed, Ed and Eddie is like this oddball independent music. You know, um, clearly Powerpuff Girls is more popular, sold more toys. It seems like something that was meant more for merchandising for a wider audience. So it, each one just, they're totally different in their feel, and uh, both are totally worth your time. Yeah. All right, so is there anything else you want to say before we go? Um, no, I mean, it's going on to the next show or yeah okay everybody I, I like we said I, this has been a long delay but i think the next episode that we'll do we'll just discuss i think we'll probably do um another run of the initial cartoon network cartoon we still got dexter's laboratory cow and chicken um we're talking um johnny, johnny bravo. bravo and um my brain went on vacation people there's like a handful more cartoons to discuss so we'll, we'll get another two together and we'll discuss those on the next time we get together hopefully it won't take as long as time 
All right, everybody, check us out on Facebook under Back in Tunes. You can find every episode that we've done. We are entering our third year here, people, and finally we're getting some serious like downloads, getting attention. So thank you for sharing, liking, and uh, coming onto the page and letting us know what you want us to discuss. And keep it up. Uh, let us know if we're doing anything wrong or what we're doing right. And yeah, it sounded like a yeah, no problem. At all. I was gonna say it sounded like a total like <laughs> a target. Like, hey, here's a uh, customer survey for you. You know, <laughs> to let out. <laughs> you don't mention that on the show, man. That's evil. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's always you know welcome to hear feedback and and let us know what you guys want from us because at the end of the day, you know, it's it's you guys that are listening that. Are, are driving it so right Thank I, you. I lie and say uh, i would do this for free I, I would talk into a void no i wouldn't that's a lie i i appreciate the fact <laughs> that we keep it growing because if i saw after three years huh eight downloads i think it's time to quit <laughs> yeah. okay everybody uh be excellent to each other and andrew thank you very much for joining me thank you thank you very much and have a good night everybody welcome to back in tunes this episode obviously we'll be discussing inspector gadget i'm your host michael and my guest this week is tony how's it going tony hey man what's up do you think that song has ever been used as like a backbeat in a rap song because it has like some killer I, bass are you serious do you not remember dougie fresh's uh, the show no that was they, oh, that was, dude, back in 84 they, that, that was their big sample and that's like probably what made that uh that's kind of like I don't know that it made that show any more popular, but it's definitely reintroduced that theme song to a lot of people. Uh, how it goes, um, that six minutes, six minutes, like you fresh your own, uh, 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 Remember that one? And it was Flick Rick was in that too? Uh, I'm, I'm playing it right. I'm going to play it right now because I, I feel like the minute you said <laughs> it, it started to like slowly leak into my brain. It's like, uh, that sounds kind of familiar. Here we go. Yeah, and then, uh, sorry. Oh, jams. I'll just pause it. We'll wait till it loads up. Uh, so we'll end the, sh the show with that. Um, so Inspector Gadget, I actually hadn't seen this in a while. And when you mentioned it, I was like, oh, my God, this is one of the most successful cartoons of my childhood. And yet, for some reason, we're three years into the show. And at no point have we ever discussed this. Uh, so what made you choose this one? I, I just remember, well, first of all. You know, back in, it was, I didn't realize it was only on for like, uh, what, three years, but I remember, like, my grandparents had cable. I didn't have cable. I bore, I grew up in, like, uh, low-income housing apartments, what would be called typically Section 8 nowadays. Yeah. But, um, so when I went to my grandparents' house, they had cable, and then I was introduced to, like, Nickelodeon, and then, like, all this whole world of cartoons I had no exposure to, and then, like, uh, Inspector Gadget was one of them. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I, you know what I mean? I'd never seen this before. And I just, yeah, I, I would just, for, for hours, you know, my grandparents like, you want to do anything else? No, no, wait, you have cable. <laughs> this, is, this is incredible. I don't, I don't see this ever, the, you know. Yeah, because when you're a kid, if you don't catch, if you don't catch cartoons like after school or Saturday mornings, you're not watching cartoons. It's yeah, not happen, I mean, there's, you know? there was always the cartoons in the morning, uh, but it's usually, well, I don't know if you had cartoons in the morning. We had a show called Froggy's Pad, and it was from 7 to 8, and they would show um, you know, either G.I. Joe or Transformers. Sometimes they would uh, throw in Thundercat. 
and these were all during their initial run, but you wouldn't catch the rest of them until afterwards. It would start at like 3.30 because they knew kids would, you know, like especially right. like elementary school kids would get up at 3, so they got to get home, settle in. So cartoons would start at 3.30 to about 5, and Inspector mm-hmm. Gadget was always one of those regulars. Yeah, well, we had them, like, on normal uh, UHF channels, there was, like, one or two, like, from the 6.30 and 7. They had, like, maybe two or three before school time. Then they would stop it because nobody was going to be watching it from that point on, you know. Do you think it's weird? So, and then they would have... Kids have no idea what UHF is now. It's not even a thing now, but it was so important to us. Definitely. Yeah, and then, like, and then there would be a few, like, three or four after school, too. So then there would usually be... You know your Thundercats, at least in my neck of the woods, be your Thundercats and your GI Joe and your, you know that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's weird but that the, the Saturday morning cartoons for me don't resonate as well as the ones that were on Monday through Friday in the afternoon. Yeah, and for some reason they seemed more special. You know, <laughs> and it was just probably in your head because it was, you know, because it was you know you had a short winter to watch it, and if you slept in, if you like you would you see certain cartoons, so it just seemed like more of an event, you know. Yeah, I think, well, you know, they would do like 13 episodes, usually for the Saturday cartoons, unless they're massively successful, like, say, Smurfs or Muppet Babies. And then they would rerun them, like, what, five times a year? And sometimes uh, they would just keep them, same episodes, but the next year they would air them again and again and again. I don't know how many times they regurgitated the same Scooby-Doo episodes. Or, uh, what was the one I was thinking? Teen Wolf was only on for, like, one season, but they kept re-airing it for, like, three more, and I always thought that was strange. But with the afternoon cartoons, they had to shoot out so many of them. Like, you're talking 60 a season. And then by the next season, they had to have a whole other, like, 65 episodes. And usually, it would burn out all the creators, and it would end after a couple seasons. So even though Inspector Gadget was massively popular, uh, it, it wrapped up after three seasons because they're like, we're looking at 100-something episodes. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was just I was looking at some of the old clips. Like, I, like, I heard it was long enough for three seasons. Like, I remember there being a lot of freaking episodes for three seasons. And I looked at, like, they were just cranking them out for all season long. There was, like, you know, a, a butt ton of them. Yeah, well, I think the quality control was also different. Whereas the Saturday cartoons were usually always the same companies. You'd always see Hanna-Barbera, Ruby Spears, uh, Filmation. Uh, with syndication, it would be a company that would basically license it out to other companies. Like, say, okay, you're going to do episodes 1 through 6, and other companies could do, you know, 6 through 12. So there could be some inconsistencies. For the most part, um, it, you had the Canadian company Nelvana, which this actually saved their business. Have you ever seen a movie called Rock and Rule? Yeah. It's, it's, it's set in a post-apocalyptic future where man has basically evolved into some sort of combination animal, like anthropomorphic people. And they're using rock and roll to save the future from Satan coming in. It's, it's a crazy, crazy movie. It's based on <laughs> The Devil and Daniel Webster. It's on YouTube. You should see it. It's, it's bonkers. It has Lou Reed, Iggy Pop, uh, Blondie, and Cheap Trick all doing like either voice work or music for the movie. And it was so... Is, wait, is it animated? Yeah, it's all animated. But they do voice oh, work okay. or they'll do songs. And uh, this company, Nelvana, had put everything they had into this movie. And then M- MGM canceled their contract even though they had already spent the money. So it was released on one screen instead of, like, you know, nationwide where they were going to get tons and tons of money from. No, they made $30,000, I think, from one week of... Uh, it showed in Philly, oddly enough. Of all the places in this country, <laughs> rock and roll aired in Philly. So they... Were, I didn't see it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was there at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so it, they were on the verge of going out of business, 
and they got this contract to do Inspector Gadget, and it saved them, and they're still in business today. I think, besides Inspector Gadget, I think they're mostly known for doing the Care Bears. But, uh, okay. yeah, so this is one of those companies that was saved by Inspector Gadget. Some of the other ones I don't really know. Deke would license it yeah. out to some uh, French company yeah, some J- uh, Japan. I was about to say, like, they only have a partnership with Deke, too. And I know they do, like, with Heathcliff. They have some affiliation with Heathcliff. Because I know, like, I was watching one of the Inspector Gadget episodes with Heathcliff. He was wearing a Heathcliff uh, costume. And then I was I uh, got some information on um, uh, on the interwebs. They were like, uh, they kind of coexisted in each other's worlds. Like, uh, one of the characters' grandfathers on Heathcliff would watch Inspector Gadget in one of the cartoons. <laughs> and vice versa. So they kind of, like, kind of had a weird little crossover. You can see, when you, when I was watching Inspector Gadget, I was like, this is the same exact speed and style as Heathcliff. Yeah. Now, did you prefer, well, I'm going to sidestep for a second. Did you prefer Garfield or Heathcliff? I don't, like, I, I like the crew that Heathcliff uh, ran with. I thought that was kind of cool. But I guess, uh, I don't know. I guess I kind of liked how uh, how snar- snarky uh, Garfield was. And I was a little more used to the comic strip as well. Yeah, yeah. In the papers. So I just, because of that, I preferred, uh, I preferred um, Gar- Garfield a bit. But I, I enjoyed watching Heathcliff also. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a whole different look, too, for um, Inspector Gadget and Heathcliff. And I think Dennis the Menace is also from the same company. There is, yeah. um, not just because of the way it was animated, because they're very line-heavy. It's almost like the comic pages come alive with the, the three cartoons. But also, it's very, very fast. Most Japanese animation that I've seen does not translate humor very well. But whoever was in charge of Inspector Gadget... It's very funny. I mean, I'm not talking. I'm laughing my ass off, but I get the jokes. It's it's not awkward or clumsy or overstated. Yeah, it's like it's you know zany and you know uh, he's a you know bumbling goofball, which you know comes across. Yeah, that's a, that's the funniest thing is that it's his show, but he rarely ever solves any mysteries. He's almost like the Inspector Clouseau of animation. Well, yeah, that's. I mean, that's definitely one of the biggest influences. They. I mean. You know, his trench coat and hat, for for sure, is a big, uh, they're drawing that from Inspector Clouseau, and then also, um, uh, yeah, I, I saw, like, in the, the original pilot, he had a big, thick, almost handlebar-like mustache. Yeah, and that's then, uh, weird. It's really weird, and then MGM asked him to remove it, because, I know, I heard two theories why they asked him to remove it. One, because it was too much like Inspector Clouseau, which MGM had the rights to. Also, because I, there was another uh, rumor that MGM was coming out with their own Inspector cartoon, and their uh, their Inspector was going to have a mustache as well, and it would be too similar. It might might maybe cause the confusion. I'm not sure which one is actually correct. Yeah, well, but anyway, MGM yeah. asked them to remove the mustache, and they did. The Inspector uh, cartoon actually does predate this by I think 14 years. Um, it started off as a theatrical companion to the Pink Panther shorts. And then eventually, oh, that one, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and then they started That's just right. putting it on that. television. You usually see it like when I was a kid, uh, one of my fondest memories is watching the Pink Panther show where they would put like Ant and the Aardvark and the Inspector Clouseau and all that stuff together. Um, right, right. But, uh, you know, it, I would say Inspector Gadget is a combination of many things. Of course, I, we cannot, cannot ignore the fact that Maxwell's smart, you know, the fact that Don Adams is doing the voice. Clearly, that is an so- inspiration. Totally, yeah. They, like, uh, and then I heard the original voice, Gary Owens in the original voice, is not, does, it doesn't ring as well. It's not, at least it's not as, uh, I don't know, it just doesn't, it doesn't pop as well as, uh, as, uh, 
uh, Don Adams voice at all. It's just very uh, reserved. What do you and it's like you, yeah, it's like you can't really. It's like it's a. I'm like he's from like a country of unknown origin. It sounds partially British, but you're not quite sure. It's yeah. like well too reserved for a for a bumbling zany detective to have such a reserved voice. It doesn't. <laughs> well, yeah, I watched the bizarre. I watched the pilot episode on YouTube, and the very first line that Inspector Gadget says is a completely different voice than the second line he says. I have no idea. It sounds very familiar. Like, I listen to it going, that sounds like a guy I used to hear in all those old cartoons as a kid. But it's clearly not Don Adams. No, th- so uh, from what I heard, there's two people doing the voice, uh, and then eventually it was Don Adams in the second episode for the, for the first official episode. But it was Gary Owens, and then it was Jesse something or other. Uh, the guy who played the Maytag repairman, um, I did some voice work. I can't remember his actual name. And then they eventually went with Gary Owens as the main guy for the rest of that uh, pilot episode before they eventually went with uh, Don Adams for the rest of the series. I think it's funny that they're bothered by the voice and not the porno stash. Like, I, yeah. I don't know why they had to have MGM ask them to remove this because this thing is a crop. I mean, this thing is just a crap load of hair just everywhere. And you're just like... Dude, were you just like in some sort of movie with Dirk Diggler recently? Because you're making me uncomfortable. Yeah, well, it, it makes him look villainous. It doesn't even make him look like, you know, like like an inspector. It yeah. makes him look like, you know, like one of the, somebody's going to toss me in a railroad track. You know what I mean? It doesn't make him look like a good guy at all. Well, what's funny is that the movie was uh, Matthew Broderick, but if he had kept that mustache, clearly it would have had to have been Sam Elliott. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and he had to die black, too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, definitely. I think one of the appeals of this is also the gadgets. Uh, it's it's a boy thing where I think actually everybody likes. I don't think any girls are like, oh, I hate John, James Bond because of all the gadgets. I think we like to see things like interact and like how they switch around. It's almost like Transformers with how the car changes. And uh, Penny has that really cool notebook that's actually a computer. Stuff like that really mm-hmm. got me into it. Yeah, it was definitely, like, a, you know, part and parcel of the time. You know, back then, people were trying to mess around with, like, uh, portable gadgets. I remember everybody had, like, a calculator watch. Everybody <laughs> thought was, like, the bomb back then. And then, uh, yeah, Transformers are real big. So, like, this, the fact that somebody could be, uh, like, a, a cyborg and have multiple uses was cool. But I, I found out, like, what the original, um, the original influence was that Dynomut from, like, the 70s. Really? Uh, they, um, yeah, so, like, Dino Mutt from 72, you know, Blue Falcon. Yeah, yeah. Okay, here, here's, like, the, all, there are, like, three or four main influences, which this is an amalgamation of, like, ideas that made this uh, cartoon. So the, the number one, as far as the gadgets are concerned, that was kind of from Di- Dino Mutt. But then also, to a lesser degree, uh, Maxwell Smart 2 with, like, things like the shoe phone and all those little, you know, which is also kind of a play off James Bond with those little gadgets. Um, also, James Bond with the, with the villains. Um, Especially uh, Doctor Claw, uh, who's the guy? Um, uh, God, what's the name? I can't remember the name of the guy who's in Thunderball. And anyway, Doctor Evil makes fun of him. You know, is a spoof on him. Yeah. Always petting his cat. It's the same guy. Oh, and, uh, of course. Craps. He's the head of Spectre. Um, yeah. No, oh, dang it! Like every single time, the <laughs> character would change, and I was always confused as to why they couldn't keep the same actor for three episodes or three movies. Uh, <laughs> well, that, that was the inspiration for. For Dr. Claw, for sure. Which, uh, you showed me his face. I did not know that they ever revealed it, and when I saw it, I was so disappointed. I was like, what? 
Right? I don't know why, but I thought it should look somewhat like a like a cat. I thought it was, I know it's probably just like kind of a poignant thing because I keep looking at um, I uh, keep looking at his cat, Mad Cat, when I when I see him. But I'm like, see, I think he should have like a mask and be look a little more cat like. I don't know why, but. You know. I thought he looked like uh, Cobra Commander or Destro. You know, some sort of metal mask thing going on. I, I don't. Yeah. 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 I, when I saw it, I was like, uh, he looks like a science teacher who's really mad. Yeah, like an angry mad scientist with like some kind of like stroke and palsy going on with his mouth. I don't know what that is. <laughs> huh. Um, I was gonna say, oh, hey, what did you think of the movies, the live action movies? Never saw it. Oh, I just, yeah. I couldn't. Yeah, and and I definitely didn't see. I didn't. I would. I was on the fence about seeing part one, and definitely I wasn't gonna see part two with French Stewart. That was just, you know. Uh, the character was Blowfield, uh, played by Telly Savalas. Yeah. That dude Blofeld, from uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and Donald Pleasance, I believe, was also Blowfield. Yeah, but that's it's definitely a heavy um, James Bond influence there. There's something else. Also, oh, uh, six six million dollar man. I was thinking that might have been an influence, but nowhere do I see yeah. anybody say that. Yeah, well, from what I from what I've get, read on Metal Floss, it was uh, Dynamite, um, uh, James Bond, um, uh, uh, Get Smart, and then uh, Spectacle Show. Those were like the uh, the amalgamation of ideas that came to like that uh that, that they uh, kind of you know evolved into uh, what we know as Inspector Gadget. You know, it's funny is his henchmen uh, always wear the shirt that says Mad on it. And I never knew yeah. what that I never knew what that meant um, until I just looked it up as mean and dirty. But when we were mean and dirty, yeah. Do you remember Mad? It was Mothers Against Drunk Driving. I was like, clearly that's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, mean and damn, mean and damn dirty. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I think it's funny as though is that they're constantly like causing all this chaos, and like nobody ever just notices going, hey, uh, you notice a weird creepy guy over there with the shirt that says Mad on it. Hasn't that been like a reoccurring thing happening for the last couple of years now? That every time there's a disaster, there's one of these guys that shows up. You think we should stop him? There's always this guy lurking around the scene of the crime for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> and of course, Brain. Brain's usually the other person lurking around like a trench coat, pretending not to be Brain. And like in, Inspector Gadget, always sees him in some kind of barely, barely there costume. He never recognizes his own dog. Yeah, it always He's like, like oh, hello, hello, hello there, madam. It's, like, it's clearly a dog with like a dress on. <laughs> It's the Peppermint Patty effect, where she always thinks that Snoopy is a kid with a big nose. It makes no sense. You almost wonder if they had some sort of brain damage. <laughs> uh, so you were telling me there's a new series, which I did not know, and I tried to watch a little bit of it, and it's really painful. Yeah, my kids are watching it, and I watch the episodes. I'm like, ugh. It's just, yeah. I, <laughs> they're trying to make it hip for, like, the current gen. Not even, not even with the CGI animation. Also with, like, some of the... Um, the references and the uh, uh, the themes and whatnot. It's just uh, it's just corny. Yeah. But I mean, there there was also like um uh, I guess I might I guess it was like early two thousands. There was a uh, Inspector Gadget and the Gadgetinis, some other cartoon that they made off like a short lived uh, cartoon, but that predates this new Netflix cartoon, yeah. which is also hor- also horrible. Oh God, I have to, I didn't even know that any of these existed until you told me. I think the thing that works about the first show is the simple fact that uh, it's timeless. Uh, yes, the gadgets, uh, sometimes you're like, well, we have that now all on my phone instead of that giant thing, you know? But uh, the plots, the themes, they're universal, so that's why it did so well with every country. But also, yeah. this this thing re-ran forever. That first series, I didn't even see it. I don't believe I saw it when it first aired. I caught it years later in reruns. 
and it's still constantly popped up on some sort of either streaming service or cable service, and it's because there's nothing about it that really dates it. Yeah, so, so like even even the wardrobe and the cars, nothing is like nothing is uh, very you know uh, period oriented. Like you can't like, oh, that's so eighties. You would have no idea. You know, if you were to if you were to clean up the animation and make it look current, you have no idea it was it was pertain it was set in like the the mid the mid to early eighties. I wonder if Don Adams, when he was first offered this, rejected it because he's like, "Look, I'm a serious actor. I've I've been attached to Maxwell Smart for decades now, and I want to well, get not, away from it." <laughs> he did uh, he did animation work. Uh, I've never seen this cartoon, but something called Tennessee Tuxedo. Oh my that god! How like, I forget he, that? Yes, of course. Tennessee Tuxedo rules. Jeez, uh, I, I've never. I'm, Never seen it, but he, I, apparently he did that before he did Maxwell Smart. Yeah, so it was about that. that was like that, early seventies. It was with that cartoon Go Go Gophers. Do you remember that at all? That sounds familiar. Yeah, it's it's looking back on it, it's a little racist, but <laughs> a lot of these cartoons were like <laughs> as, oh, that's as were they all back then. Yeah, a lot of them were like of their time period. Uh, but you know he did the uh, Maxwell Smart. Uh, he did the Get Smart show up for like six seasons, and then like you know he was always that guy that would pop up on. Uh, uh, like the Love Boat and Fantasy Island and, and Gilligan's Island, you know, something that would uh, just grab familiar faces. He lived off that for a decade. It must have been kind of nice, though, that people were like, well, we still love you for this particular role. And uh, I think he, re if I remember correctly, he did it again in the 90s. He did another Get Smart series where Andy Dick played his kid. Yeah, that, 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 that does sound familiar. I vaguely remember that. I think it was a Fox series, like Get Smart Again or something like that. But uh, clearly people loved him for that. But it is a shame when an actor can't get really past what everybody knows him for. Like Adam West, it's finally come back around where he's getting more work. But that took decades. Oh, yeah. And, it's like, and, he's, and he's like spoofing himself. And he's like, you know, he's lampooning himself. I mean, that's, I mean, he's, I mean he's always, had, he's always been, had, a, had a good spirit about it. He's never... Uh, It'd be terrible if you were just, just like pissed off, off about it. Stop reminding me, you dicks! I'm not. I'm not Batman. <laughs> Shut up. All right. So that brings us pretty much to the end of this episode. Is there anything else you want to say about Inspector Gadget? Uh no. Just a uh, definitely a fun little cartoon. If anybody hasn't seen it, I don't know what rocks you've been under, but uh, definitely check it out. There's there's a there's a treasure trove of them on YouTube. I'm pretty sure every single Inspector Gadget is on YouTube, yeah. and there's hundreds of them. So you'll you'll never you'll never like get tired of watching after a while because there's, there's literally hundreds of them by multiple uh, multiple sources on there, multiple channels with Inspector Gadget. Yeah, it, it moves fast. It's very funny. Uh, it's an international kind of thing, so anybody in any country could like get into what it's trying to do, uh, which a lot of the cartoons of our youth felt like that, like they were more for international audiences instead of a very particular, even though clearly most of them were there to sell toys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. All right, so check toys, out toys, cereal, and other merchandise for sure. Yeah, uh, check us out on Facebook uh, under Back in Tunes or Retro Rock Entertainment, which is the network for all of the shows that we do. Tony, thank you for joining me on this one, and uh, let's end this with Dougie Fresh.
right, obviously you can tell what this is about. It's about Tiny Toon Adventures. I'm your host, Michael. My co-host, as always, what's up, Jacob? Hey, hey, hey. Oh, my God, dude. I can't wait to talk about the show. I oh love God. the is show. I grew up with this. Whoever wrote these songs, I want to say it was Tom Ruger. Uh, I can't remember. I'll look it up. Uh, wrote the theme song for this and Animaniacs, and they're so insanely catchy. Oh, I know. They're fun. Plus, they're also fun to watch. They're just absolutely brilliant. <clears throat> yeah, I guess. You know, perfect timing on comedy, all the jokes. You know, talking about, like, you know, real-world actors, too. Yeah. All those little parodies. Well, I think oh. what it was is Can't that go. the Looney Tunes universe had kind of faded away. You know, I, during the late 70s, early 80s, there was a lot of those uh, those movies where it was a bunch of the shorts put together around a certain theme, and those started to end with, uh, I think, da- Quackbusters. I think Daffy Duck's Quackbusters was the last of those movies. And not doing very well. Yeah. And the interest on uh, Bugs Bunny during the 50th anniversary, and we can't ignore Roger Rabbit, introduced everything for a new generation. Oh, no. So it was time to bring uh, something new for the kids to understand. And Tiny Toon Adventures was a way to do it like uh, uh, like a Muppet Babies direction, like taking younger versions of our known heroes, but with a twist. Like, yes, there is a bunny like Bugs Bunny, but it's not Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny still exists, you know, that kind of thing. Exactly. They're the uh, teachers at Acme University. They're the ones teaching this new generation of t- uh, Looney Tunes and calling them Tiny Tunes. Yeah. And showing them the ropes, how to be funny, you know, slapstick, comedy timing. Very, very, very educational stuff. It's like, gosh, this is probably what prompted uh, today's comedians, for all we know. <laughs> okay, so it doesn't say who wrote the song, but Bruce Broughton actually did the theme, like the orchestra music in the background and uh like we'll know him from doing movies my favorite soundtrack of his is from silverado uh he was a big guy during the 80s and early 90s uh but he is responsible for constructing this theme song oh wow and you know this dang is, this i didn't when steven spielberg i think this is his first animation foray i'm pretty sure he hasn't done anything before this yeah um i there's just that in animaniacs i know he was definitely involved with that yeah well, and this, this honestly, everything he Animaniacs. touched was... Did you know this was canceled in favor of Animaniacs, which I thought was strange, because they could have done both. They could, they, yeah, they could have. I mean, come on. You're getting you're getting double the view, the viewers, okay, when you have both those shows running. Different time slots, different days. Whatever, man. Just do it! <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get enough of it. I mean, dude, just from watching, like, the very first episode, you know, Bugs Bunny kind of, like, making the little jokes about, you know, they couldn't, you know, afford to get him. And then they just paid him on a truckload of friggin' carrots. <laughs> He's a rabbit. He's easily pleased. Yes. And what was, what was also very unique was, you know, you know that one uh, cartoon animator trying to pitch an idea to the executives at Warner Brothers. And it shows the creative process of, you know, telling a story, setting up a, you know, setting up your own tale. It was very educational, you know, bringing in, like, supporting characters, you know, character development and all that. It was really wonderful to watch. And, you know, the funny thing is, I thought this was a lot shorter, but there was 100 episodes. I think it's because it was syndicated. Syndicated, you're stripping it mm-hmm. from Monday to Friday, so you got five episodes a week. I, for some reason, I was convinced this was only on Saturdays on Fox, and I don't know if it changed later. Maybe that's why I have that memory burned in my brain, is that it aired on Fox during Saturdays? I'm not sure. I drink a lot, people. Yeah. I drink a lot. I forget a lot it's of okay. things. I don't even know it's where been... I am right now. You're right. You're on acid. You took some very, very weird acid, mm, and now you're in your own universe. little bubble. <laughs> you're in – no, no, no. You're actually um, inside someone's body, you know, kind of like uh, that Dennis Quaid movie. 
Oh, inner space. Uh, yeah, that's where you are. You're in inner space. You're in someone's space. I don't know whose. It might not even be a her, but you're there. <laughs> All right, so with this, you have a lot of spinoff characters. You know, like I said, if there's Bugs Bunny, then you have Buster Bunny and Babs Bunny. You have Daffy Duck and then Plucky Duck. Plucky Duck being my favorite of all the characters. Well, who's your favorite? Uh, it would definitely have to be um, either Plucky, Babs, or Buster. Like, definitely the, the top three. Yeah. Uh, I. What is the guy who was like a dodo? Is a weirdo guy. It's like from some crazy... Go-Go. Go-Go? Go -Go? Yeah. Oh, Gogo was insane. Gogo Dodo. Uh, I always thought he was really amusing. Um, my mom, I remember when we were watching it as a kid, she was always into Elmira because she was so like, I love him and squeeze him. Like uh, the big version. Uh, was that the uh, the Bigfoot? In the oh, movie? God, that uh, the Big Yeti. Yeah, he, it's like a tiny. <laughs> and I will hug him and squeeze him. I might will call him George. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> you know, she was just like, he's a That guy. <laughs> So I wanted to shoot her in the face. She annoyed the fuck out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I hated no, But I loved... Okay. Montana, Montana, Max is money. I hated Montana, Max. He's a rich kid. What'd you expect? Of course you're going to hate him. Everyone's going to hate him. He's a asshole. He is. I was like, Montana... No, I'm pretty sure Yosemite Sam's... Like, well, I think... Wasn't Yosemite Sam his uncle? Uh, I think they're, that's how they're related. I can't remember. Yeah, I know. I'm pretty sure Yosemite, Yosemite Sam even hates him. <laughs> I, I haven't seen oh, I mean, <laughs> I revisited this, but I, I didn't have a whole lot of time to really get into the characters. But there was Hampton, I remember. Um, Dizzy Devil, because I always remember that from the song. Um, oh, yeah. Furball. The funny thing is, the cartoon we're going to discuss after this is Tasmania. I have to say, I'm not a huge fan of the Tasmanian Devil. Um, I can see the appeal to other people, but uh, I, I, he was kind of a sub-character that never really interested me. But um, there's a lot of characters in this that kind of stuck out, even though they had a very wide cast. It really only seemed like there's four or five of them that were the focus. You know, Pl uh, Plucky, Hampton, and Buster and Babs. The other ones were just supporting characters. Uh, thankfully, they chose... Pretty much, that. yeah. I will say this. With Animaniacs, it's, um, it's not connected to the universe, so it feels a lot fresher. Exactly. I know. It is its own thing. That's what I liked about that, too. And... I remember, um, like the beginning of, uh, of the episode when uh, they're creating, uh, when they're creating Buster. Also, they're going to create Babs, and it's like, wait, a girl? She's like, yay, it's the '90s. Get over it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, good, yes, yeah, finally a strong character for you know girls to watch too. That's something to get you know uh, more of a, like you know a better audience, a yeah, bigger I mean, audience. Yeah, all they ever had really was Tweety for the girl. in the old ones. Oh yeah, Tweety Bird. Yeah, that's it. That's all they had. No, they didn't really have any uh, female characters except for. Uh, that one cat that, you know, Pierre the Skunk would oh, always try to get at. That is creepy if you think about it now, man. That's borderline stalker. He is. Kind of attitude. He looks like, ugh. Maybe we shouldn't focus on this character. Like, Jesus. Much. He is persistent, but goddamn, dude. <laughs> she said no. No means no, you fucking freak. <laughs> now, Babs. But no, like I said, Babs was definitely there. She was, like, rebellious. She was, you know, she was definitely on level with Buster. Some, they both bounce off of each other. And you do remember that they are 14. And then she pulls out that little Jessica Rabbit costume. And then she's just like, you know. That's disturbing. Oh, yeah. And then, <laughs> then she just like, you know, messes with uh, Buster and like hits him on the head, jokes him. <laughs> Suckers him in. <laughs> now, oh, this man. is cast by Andrew Romano, who pretty much did all the Warner Brothers cartoons at the time. Actually, she might still do them. Oh, but of wow. course, we know her from the Batman, Superman, you know, just brilliant casting. This one, 
Uh, a lot of these are kind of reoccurring. Like, we, they were your typical animated voice guys. You know, Rob Paulson, Luke LaMarche. Of course, Frank Welker. All right, all right everybody, if you listen to the show, take a drink because you heard the words Frank Welker. I know. Hold on. I'm already at number seven. <laughs> How many times have we gotten there? Uh, Charlie adds uh, John Casser. John Casser, known for doing the voice of the Crypt Keeper. Uh, Joe Alaska, oh. who did the voice of Plucky Duck, sadly passed away a few months ago, but uh, I remember it being oh. a big deal when I saw this uh, special and how he did the voices for his characters, and I was like, I've never seen that done before. Oh, wow. No, I mean, who was yeah, it was definitely to... done differently. Yeah, when did you discover how voiceovers were done? I mean, did you know about Mel Blanc when you were a kid? Uh, Mel Blanc? Not so much. I did know of um, Cam Clark, uh, Cam Clark, who was like um, voice of Leonardo from Ninja Turtles. He was also in um, oh, he was in Eek the Cat. He was like one of the little uh, dummy bears, and also Robotech. He played Max. Oh, okay. You know what's funny is we keep putting off Eek the Cat. We should really bring this up. Finally, do it. Yeah, we should. Uh, Dan- but yeah, no. As far as like voice actors, oh, then there was also Kevin Conroy and. Mark Hamill, yeah. but then again, yeah, of Mark course, oh, being I was like, a Star Wars fan, too. It, it helped, because he was such a huge star, that all of a sudden you're being stuff with him going, yeah, I'm doing the voice of the Joker on Batman, you're like, that's done by famous people? What? I know. A lot of famous people did get in on Batman. I mean, look at it. It was a great, it was a great TV show. Yeah. And when Warner Brothers it was great. one of the few companies willing to put up the cost. I mean, very few stars end up doing, but Tim Curry was doing Pirates of Darkwater, uh... It seemed like everybody else was kind of past their prime, but Warner Brothers really... He was also doing Peter Pan and the Pirates. Was that it? Oh, I said the wrong one. It was Peter Pan and the Pirates. I thought it was Pirates of Darkwater. You're right. I'm not sure who did who else, who else who was famous that was in Pirates of Darkwater, oh, but it was still up. a great cartoon. But in this one, we have Danny yeah. Cooksey as Montana Max. Now, not a lot of people will remember who this is, but you remember a TV show called Salute Your Shorts. Yes, the uh, red-haired kid. Yes, from Terminator 2, Butnick. from Different Strokes, the very end of Different Strokes, and he would go on to do a lot of voice work. Oh, for sure. Salute your, oh my god, yeah, Salute Your Shorts is where I remembered him mostly, and Terminator 2. I always remember Donkey Lips. Whenever someone brings up that, I'm like, Donkey Lips. Exactly, Donkey Lips. Oh, Pinsky. Oh, god, who, who the hell, wasn't Kristen Crook on that show? Or was that someone else? She only looked like Kristen. I think she looked like Kristen Crook. I have to look this up because I, I haven't thought about that show in a while, like who the cast was. I, I would see them every once in a while. And I'm like, oh, well, that kid's on Boy Meets World. He's also on Salute Your Shorts, that kind of thing. But um, yeah. I'm not sure if she was. I think she was too young. I think she was too young for that. Should have been very, like, 60. Man. That's what's, yeah, that's what's up, definitely. Uh, 65 episodes of Tiny Toon Adventures, the first season. That is insane for a high-quality show. Usually that's... Uh, relegated to like you know stuff that you know was based on a toy that the studio really didn't give a shit about that they want to get out in one season. Very few quality shows came out with that much. Like that's a lot of episodes on TV in one season. Yeah, good God. I mean, usually a season is like what twenty five episodes, um, and they managed to push it to like yeah, animation can run anywhere between thirteen and twenty four. I would say is the max usually. Uh, syndicated shows are 65, but still, it's so heavy. Usually, they look like garbage if there's that much going on. It's a well, hey, it was a great cartoon, and it got a lot of viewers. It went on for quite a long while, and it would come back like, after a couple years. Shoot, I stayed home and watched it. I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't ashamed to watch cartoons. Uh, 
um, some other people that showed up, uh, you may not know these names, but they're kind of like well known in this field. Julie Brown, you remember downtown Julie Brown? Not downtown Julie Brown. Um, the other Julie Brown, the red-haired one from Shakes the Clown. And uh, Earth Girls Are Easy. That's right. Uh, Casey Kasem was in it. Uh, Jeff Altman, who is notorious for being in this TV show that was one of the worst shows of all time called Pink Lady and Jeff, where he hosted a sketch talk variety show with two co-hosts that did not speak English, yet it was an American show. Epic disaster. Mm. That's kind of a terrible thing. He was just waiting to happen. <laughs> uh, Orson Bean, great <laughs> stage actor. Uh, Hamilton Camp, who um, did voice work for the Smurfs, was in uh, a couple really great movies like Arena. Uh, he, if you know if you know his face, you you know his fa- you know like his voice. It's amazing. Uh, Dan Castellaneta. I'm not gonna say the name right. Castellaneta. Castellanta. Castellan Castellaneta. Jeez, I hate it when I do this. Uh, of course. Homer Simpson. Homer Simpson. Jim Cummings, who you see all the time in these. Uh, cartoons at this at this era, he did Darkwing Duck, probably his most famous. Uh, of course, Tim mm-hmm. Curry, Stan Freeberg, Matt Frewer. Do you know who Matt Frewer is? Yes, I do know who Matt Frewer is. Um, he was in Honey I Shrunk the Kids. He was the next door neighbor. He was also in um, Lawnmower Man too. And oh gosh, uh, what was that one show where he's the virtual reality program? Max I keep forgetting, Mister. Max Headroom, yes, yeah. that's who it is. And uh, he did a short-lived TV show I really liked. He kept coming back because critics loved it so much and had a very strong cult following called Dr. Doctor. It was on for three seasons. Each season, I believe, was only 13 episodes. It just kept coming back, coming back. Really intelligent show. Very hard to find. There's, I think there's a couple episodes on YouTube. All right, we'll have to look, at, I'll have to look into it. What's it called again? Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor, give me the news. I got it. Was that the theme song? Yep. Uh, Selene Moon oh, Fry, Bucky <laughs> Brewster herself was in the show. Uh, Phil Hartman. Oh my God! Oh, I'm always sad to I hear know, about that. I know it's you terrible. Just... Uh, Vincent Price. Vincent Price. Hello, I'm Vincent Price. Oh, nice. You're going to. How do you do that? <laughs> How do you do these voices? I, I always struggle so hard. Because I'm Vincent fucking Price. That's why you need not know anything but that. <laughs> that's the best ex- explanation I'll give you. I just get into the character, and you know, Vincent Price. You know, Vincent Price by that by that time would be like, "Yes, I know who I am." That's all you're gonna know. <laughs> uh, and finally, Jonathan Winters also did voice work on it. So this is a huge amount of like names to show up in this cartoon. Jonathan Winters. Yeah, that's awesome, isn't it? Oh my God, who's Jonathan Winters? God, why is it? What? I'm trying to think. Look him up. Just seriously, look him up right now. You'll you'll understand in a second. Uh, I mostly know him from doing uh, Mork and Mindy. Well, uh, he played the baby who grew old, or uh, was old and grew young, but had the mentality of a baby. So he was like sixty, but he was actually the IQ of like two year olds. It was weird casting, but he's a genius. Uh, Davis Rules was a great show, but he did a bunch of albums during the sixties where they're kind of uh, free association, um, improv kind of. Oh thing. damn it. Very, very smart uh, comedian, but also I've heard that he's a little nuts, which if you're going to get in front of a bunch of people and act silly, that almost takes a little bit of insanity. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, he was the voice, well, he is the voice of the Papa Smurfs on the Smurfs movies. That's right. Well, now that he's passed, I don't know who's going to play him. I know. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was, oh, gosh, that's right. He was, uh, I remember him from, uh, The Shadow. He was Lamont's uncle. Oh, that's right. Shit, I forgot about that. Oh my god, yeah, I know who that guy is. Damn. 
Alright, so Tiny Toon Adventures was popular enough to have a spin-off direct-to-video movie called How I Spent My Vacation. And also it had two spin-offs, Plucky Duck, which only lasted 13 episodes, and also Pinky Elmira and the Brain, also I believe only lasted 13 episodes. Oh wow, really? Yeah, you think it would be a little more popular, but I guess by that time, Warner, Warner Brothers was notorious for uh, taking shows that were really well done and going, nah, we're, we're okay, canceled. You know, Freak is like, eh, done. Pinky the Brain, done. I don't oh my god, I know, like, what the hell? They didn't appreciate it if it was only going to be around that long. I mean, shit, especially fucking... Oh, between Hunger God. Force is on its, like, 15th season. It's like, why? Why is this still on? Why can't you... I know, why the hell can't they just bring back Freakazoid? I... That... I... Could you... Oh, man. Yeah, I know. Alright, so every episode <laughs> makes this of bad, this, of course, makes this bad guys goes insane. Easy to find. All right. Yeah. Def- okay. Animaniacs. Yeah. No doubt about that. I mean, it's, Wait, it's, 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 I'm sorry. Tiny Toon Adventures. Every episode that on DVD. You can find those easily. <laughs> I know. I figured you'd catch it yourself. I'm like, hold on. Let me refresh him. I am not in a clever water, way. People, it's all vodka. It looks like water. It's diluted. It's like a, it's like a bottle of amnesia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My God. Yes. It's pretty. It might as well just be labeled. Fuck it all. <laughs> Oh, is there anything else you want to say about uh, Tiny Toons before we switch over? I would love for the show to come back. That's what I wanted to see. I thought I wanted to see happen. Something a little bit more... uh, uh, Return. I know. Maybe Buster and Babs get older. Now they're teaching the next generation. That that is not a bad (laughs) idea. And then, wait, what happens to... Of course. What what happens to the original cast, though? Oh, my God, is Bugs dying? Oh, my God, is Porky Pig cooked? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, real... Porky got his fat ass roasted. Yo, 70s Sam is in old folks' home. I'm gonna get that. Where am I? Yeah, no. <laughs> so he's pretty much in Mr. Magoo. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. But, yeah, except oh, with guns. Probably very racist. <laughs> More in life. And probably very considering racist. I've met most people over the age of 70 seem to be like, oh, those. No, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't fucking say it. <laughs> It was, shouldn't have been accepted in the first place. No. Oh, man. I, I have had this conversation at work why you can't say the N-word. And he's like, well, that's what we used to call Brazil nuts. I'm like, I don't care if that's what you used to call it. You don't call it that now. You can't say that at work. Why do you Why? Why do you not see the problem with this? It was a problem from day one. Yeah. Honestly. I don't know why people... Understand. Well, that's what we used to say. Yeah. You know why? I don't give a fuck if that's what you used to say. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand why they don't understand how time has passed and how things are wrong. They're idiots. Well, I mean, shit, it was wrong from the be- very beginning. Now they're just, they're real- they're thinking that it still doesn't mean any harm, when oh. in fact it did. It's like it's some sort of loophole that they were of the age. It's like, no, you don't get a free pass, buddy. You can apologize. Uh-uh. You can apologize all day long. I'm okay with that. Yep, I know. You can apologize, but it ain't happening. You're still going to hell. All right, so we're going to take a break right now and head on over to Tasmania. Yes, indeed. We are back. I, uh, I'm i having internet trouble, so I can't get the Tasmania theme song, but it's not like it's really memorable. So, hey, Jacob, you want to hear the new song for our show? Sure, here, play it. Okay, hold on. Let me go find it. Uh, someone put this together for us. Let's see what you think of it. Oh, my gosh. You find, is it lost? Is it like? Oh, there it is. That was it. You want to hear it again? 
<laughs> do it again. Yeah, do it again. I want to hear it again. I like it. I like it. So I, I it's a kind of a space goes. Bye, that's my boner. That's my cartoon boner. Swing, swing. <laughs> All right, so we'll probably just wrap this one up pretty quickly here because Tasmania. Um, this actually went on a lot longer than I thought it was. I thought it was on for like thirteen episodes. This four seasons, sixty-five episodes, aired I believe on Fox. Uh, I don't. Th- I think it was a Saturday show because that many episodes makes you think that it wasn't a syndicated. Um, Four seasons, you say? Four seasons, from 91 to 95. I have no memory of this show whatsoever, except for when I just watched, like, a couple episodes. Sherry. Sherry, baby, Sherry. What? Sorry, I can't help it. What was that for? That's Frankie Valli, the Four Seasons. Oh. Sherry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, not not Steve Perry Sherry. Like, (laughs) that was before Steve Perry Sherry. (laughs) Um, Taz okay. played by Jim Cummings, like we just mentioned earlier. Uh, known ah, damn Jim Cummings. Everywhere. Miriam Flynn. <laughs> now, not a lot of people know who this is, but if you've seen the Vacation movies, she's Cousin Eddie's wife. Oh, my gosh. That's why she sounded so familiar. Yep. Ah, ha, ha. Oh, oh, gosh. Now I can't. Now it's no longer Taz's mom. It's just Cousin Eddie's wife. <laughs> Uh, Maurice LaMarche, yet again, uh, mostly known for doing The Brain. Um, Kelly Martin As from Life Goes On and Christy, ER. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. She, My uh, God, I didn't know. That was a sister? Yep, played Molly. Uh, I don't know who Debbie Derryberry is. That sounds like a fake name. <laughs> Debbie Derryberry. Debbie Derryberry. <laughs> Rob Paulson. Debbie Derryberry. What? Say it like, does she bake? Does she make? Does she make pies? Yes. Yeah, try to say it five times fast. Okay, go ahead. Debbie Dairy Dairy Bear. <laughs> Did this fail the first time? <laughs> Debbie Dairy Bear. Yes. Debbie Dairy Bear. Debbie Dairy Bear. Debbie Dairy Bear. Debbie Dairy. Shit. Shit. I don't know. Does she bake pies? Does she make? Does she make blueberry pies? You dare. Or any like mixed berry pie? You're you're a dirty pie fucker, aren't you? No, I'm hungry. I just love pie. Oh, alright. I'm a. I have a. I have a bottomless pit for a stomach. Let's see, John Aston also did a guest role on this. Of course, everybody knows him from the Adams Family, uh, Night Court. A uh, little bit of you know him from Briscoe County Jr. Uh, everything else was just kind of a small cast. Rob Paulson, Maurice LaMarche, Jim Cummings just constantly doing voices. Yeah, honestly, I think they brought out the development of um, Tasmania, each of the family members, like at least from when I was watching it, from what I from what I concur, from what I guess guesstimate. Yeah. I was just not a fan of him in the original shorts. He just seemed like kind of a one-note gag. Uh, but I do remember as a child doing the... <laughs> you know, I thought that was funny because, you know, kids always like fart noises. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> I love fart noises. <laughs> oh, yeah, it says yeah. right here, uh, 13 episodes per season, except the fourth season was 26 episodes. Uh, first two are on DVD, the rest not, and I'm going to guess if they do come out, they'll be one of those Warner On Demand, like you have to go right, right to their website and they manufacture it for you instead of putting it in stores, which is always a shame, but at least it'll be out there. Uh, also, I do remember the game for the Sega, and I believe it was on all the systems. Oh, yeah, I did have it. I actually had that game. I had the Animaniacs game for a short while. I think I borrowed it from someone. Uh, all these games, all those license games were always crazy hard or crazily just terrible, terrible design. And I feel like the Warner Brothers team actually did a good job with these two. 
Oh, yeah, no, they definitely did. I mean, it was, for me, I mean, especially someone like Taz himself, like, uh, he just came in and wrecked shit. He was a homewrecker, literally. He was kind of an asshole in, in uh, you know, Looney Tunes. But in this, no, he, you actually get, you actually have a sympathy for him. You know what he's like. Well, and you see that through his family. That during the uh, Looney Tunes shorts, if he was actually a child. They never really cleared it up, but it seems like he was a kid during that. If you look at this show, like this one, what, he's what late teens, maybe twenties. If you're gonna relate it to uh, possibly, yeah, I know. But he's a Tasmanian devil, so it'd be different. Yeah, I guess uh, late fours, early fives. <laughs> I don't know how long Tasmanian devils live for. I don't know. Yeah, the, they could possibly have a. No, no, they could probably have a huge lifespan for all we know. They're probably like hundreds of years old. They could be wizards. Oh my god. They could learn to speak. The the magic was too powerful and that's why they can't speak properly. Actually, have you ever seen a Tasmania devil in real life? No. Never been to Tasmania. No, I But I think I have a friend who actually lives in Tasmania. I do. I actually have a couple friends that live out there. Uh actually they had one. Um when I lived in Fort Wayne, they opened a section of the zoo that was down under. And, uh, you know, all these animals like kangaroos and whatnot, uh, wallabies. And they had a Tasmanian devil. And I finally saw it. I was like, it's it's not moving. It's not really doing anything. It's just kind of slogging around. Just I'm like, did they drug it? Why is it not spinning in circles? It was like my whole reality was shattered when I had that moment. I was like, oh, I wanted him to spin and threaten and drool. And <laughs> but no. Your voice just went robotic. That was weird. Are you a cyborg, Jacob? No, but that would be pretty awesome. It would be. I kind of want to be like I've... a half man. I want, I want like robotic parts. Sort of. Oh, hell yeah. I don't want to lose anything, though. I know. Can, I get, can I get a biomech enhancement? Like, I don't lose my arm, but I have like an outer shell that makes me stronger and faster. Damn. Yeah, no, that would be pretty cool. Especially, you know, quite uh, pinpoint accuracy, faster typing speed. Freaking. I want to have, have laser vision. I want to shoot lasers out of my eyes. Oh, That's what yeah. I want. You're like cyborg. I now, want, that's a movie I'm looking forward to. I, I, I would love to see that. I will take me to work, do my job, but let me nap the whole time. Like, when people have questions, like, it's just an automated response. Yes, it's on aisle 14. <laughs> Pardon my robo-drool. I am, I am half sentient and half organic. <laughs> Therefore, I don't have to show any kind of emotion. I give nor should I care. <laughs> None of my megabytes are geared towards this. Yeah, plus, uh, yeah, no, that's, it's like, you don't have to show any emotion or any concern. I'm like, I'm sorry, but that, that request or your return does not make any sense. Therefore, under such circumstances, I cannot refund you. Oh, so, so basically go you to, can be So I'm going to ask, ask you to leave. Practically, yeah. <laughs> or anywhere, <laughs> pretty much anywhere in retail. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, I think they have their brains removed when it's time to be an executive. Like, I'm sorry, you cannot have a personality. I'm good with this. How much do I get paid? All right. All right. All right. Is there anything else you want to say yeah, about no, one of these cartoons before we go? Um, I'm definitely would de- we be more for uh would definitely be more excited for Tiny Toons than I would be for Tasmania. Although I I would just love to see Looney Tunes make a big comeback. Yeah. It was pretty cool how they were like coming back in the uh, New Fifty Two. Um, uh, there was a certain month of issues going on in the New Fifty Two series for DC Comics. How they got to hang out with some of the superheroes. No kidding. <clears throat> well, I remember back when uh, yeah, no. Tunes Back in Action was coming out, and uh, they said, oh, we're going to bring all these shorts back to the theater, and 
It never happened. Back in action, Bond, because it opened against Elf, uh, which is strange since it's actually the same company. They actually undid themselves. Uh, they had all these shorts planned, and they said, nah, fuck it, we're just going to dump them. We're not going to do them. Yeah. <laughs> which is infinitely better than Space Jam. I know people hold Space Jam up on a pedestal, but if you compare that to Back in Action, Back in Action clearly is made by someone who understands the characters, loves the franchise, uh, and it bombs. And then Space Jam is just basically a 90-minute commercial, and uh, directed by Joe Pitka, who apparently has no real interest in the characters at all. Yeah, I know. I mean, like I said, if as far as it goes for Tasmania, I mean, I'm not sure how, how much it, what else he could have done with Taz. Yeah, it's kind of a sub-character you're kind of surprised gets. It's like giving um, Foghorn Leghorn his own show. It's like, well, he's funny for a couple minutes, but a whole series? Really? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you don't see a lot uh, of so like Talking about back in the day? Yeah. I know, that's it. He's just a supporting character. He, I don't think he could ever be his own his own. Uh, his own star, or All star right. of his own show. So, everybody, we have hit the end of this episode. Check us out on Facebook under Back in Tunes. We are almost to our 100th episode. we got to think of something big to do on that. But, you know what? Oh, uh, God. we got to do Eek the Cat. We keep putting it off. Let's do Eek the Cat, maybe Felix the Cat or something. Uh, two stupid dogs. You know, we can mix. We can find something to go with Eek the Cat. And we've, we've been discussing this. Oh, Felix years. the Cat. What? Felix the Cat. Yeah, dude, that would be perfect. And okay. that's a classic. Yeah, that's, let's, let's that's a big that one. one. Um, we haven't done an old cartoon in a while, so I think it's probably time. Um, so that is it for us here. Uh, Jacob, send us out. All right. Uh, did you already say be excellent to each other? Oh, shit, I forgot. That's my slogan. Everybody be excellent to each other. Yeah. Actually, we should say that one uh, at the end from now on. I'll say namaste and good luck, and then you should say uh, be excellent to each other. Okay, whatever works. <laughs> Rewind. It does work. Hey, Jacob, send us out. <laughs> All right, now we're saying good luck, you guys, everybody. Be excellent to each other. Good night. <laughs>